So welcome, 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 so welcome to No Stupid, stupid Questions. Question. Hello, everybody. This week's up, folks? It's for real. It's with for real. T-Leak like, and Jag. Rah, rah, like a dungeon drag. What's up? No, no <laughs> specific no order. order. I love No <laughs> Stupid <laughs> Questions show. Can we curse on this show? Do whatever it's we feel. Okay. Time is for question real. for today. No. Rah, rah, like All right. Stupid. So, the question. No stupid questions. Jack. No stupid questions. Welcome to this episode of... My first question is, who are you? No stupid questions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the No Stupid Questions show. The show where we have two smart people and one stupid question. Or so we thought. <laughs> really? <laughs> All right. Well, we, uh, we got our stupid question of the day, and it is of the day, and we are actually three smart people today. Okay, okay. We, we do have a special guest. I'm excited, because she uh, is someone I consider a dear friend. We have danced together, and for those of you who know me, dancing with me is is basically becoming a part of my circle. So um, we have danced together as members, performing members of the Brazilian arts organization Fogonajopa out of San Francisco. But her other life, when she's not dancing wonderfully, <laughs> is actually as the founder of Dissecting Whiteness, an organization about education, healing, and reconciliation. And she is absolutely fantastic. Uh, her work in racial justice has been going on for over 20 years. She's a workshop facilitator, helping folks, in the words of her bio, reclaim humanity, our humanity, and the humanity of others. So with that, Kasum, say hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, T-Leak. Thank you, everyone, for bringing me on. It's, a, it's an honor, and I'm excited to deepen into this conversation of a stupid question. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. We, we're looking forward to this. All yeah. right. T-Leak, do you have the question? So when I ask this question, you'll understand why Kasum is a great person to have on the show today. Our stupid question for today is, is anti-racism against human nature? Mm, what a good question. <laughs> and it is it is very timely considering what's going on in the world now. And this is but, a new term. I, I know for for you, you maybe know best, Kasum. I have not this is something I've seen. I've seen it sort of defined in the in the sort of news today, just different ways of looking at it, but this whole term of anti racism, I think, has been an evolution. So do we need yeah. to hear hear what the term is? What does the term mean? Or do you want my answer? <laughs> Since you I have seem, an answer. You said, well, you seem very... Go ahead. Come on. Bring it. So <laughs> I'm going to say that anti-racism is absolutely against human nature. Oh, uh, okay. okay. And the reason being... Oh, you um, want to just give it all? No, huh? no. I, I think I, I think I need to pass. I think I think I need to get some more answers before we get into to the details. But I'm going to say absolutely against human nature. All right. And Kasum, do you have the sort of standard definition that we should be using? I mean, I think anti-racism, the, the language actually has been used for quite a while. People considering themselves anti-racist. And I think for a while I considered myself as on a path of anti-racism. And I 
many years ago stopped doing it because I'm really not against anything. I'm for something. And so I, I find myself a racial justice warrior. I'm really trying to move towards what are we creating as opposed to what are we working against? So anything that is anti, I usually don't claim because that's just not helpful for me and my vision towards what I'm working towards. But I'm sure there's, there's a definition. Some people will say, like, how can anyone claim being anti-racist if you're a white person? That's usually like a term that <laughs> I don't think you can self-proclaim, but I think it's any white person who's actively trying to work towards a racial justice society, a society that does not live in the delusion of white supremacy that has been infiltrated in our world for many, 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 many years. It's a delusion with absolute harmful impact, obviously. The impact is completely real. The delusion is a setup. Yeah, so that's my little piece. I don't know, T. Leak, if you want to go into your answer first or <laughs> if you want to be the wow, jump in. Oh, you, no. you, you said a lot there. I don't know if I, <laughs> I mean, where do we go? But T. Leak, why don't you give us your answer? Well, well, before I do that, I'm going to just, I did a quick Google search. I did see that the term was used, at least in some text in 1988. And so I, I just, I really, it's really an interesting sort of thing because I, I do wonder how this started to become just more of a common term at this time. Um, because interestingly enough, and I've talked about this before, a couple of years ago, I had watched this video of the CEO of AT&T talking to his sales force. And one of the things that he said was actually tolerance is uh, cowardice. And so he was leaning in this direction, which seems to be, and I'm just going to tell you, the Oxford Dictionary says that anti-racism is the policy or practice of opposing racism and, to what Kasum was talking about, promoting racial tolerance. So um, now, again, you know, my man from AT&T said tolerance is not the answer, actually, because tolerance just says, I'll just accept it, not I will encourage it, foster it, cultivate it in a way that is positive. So... Yes. That that aside, so thank you for for just you know highlighting the fact that it is it is a term that goes further back than probably most of us are familiar with, and it is interesting that it's bubbling up now. I think there's obvious reasons for it, and I think that <laughs> we may want to delve deeper into it um, because my initial reaction to the question was actually to agree with Jag. Hmm. Um, that's when that, you know that, I, that's, that hardly ever happened. Well, I'm, that's when I, I had to I might go, need to rethink my view well, now. Well, no, I had to. I was like, hmm. So, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually thinking about this whole concept and trying to break it down in my head to understand. Uh, but let's talk about the reasons. Um, but before we do that, Kasum, what's your out of the gate answer to this stupid, stupid question? Mm. I don't have a quick answer. I think my question is, if you know, thinking about human nature, what is human nature? Human nature, I think, are, is to survive. Like, there's definitely a survival mechanism in there. And some of our automatic assumptions about other people, whether they're positive or negative, are based in survival. They're instinctual feelings. But also, our instinctual feelings have been layered with generations and generations of systemic <laughs> Um, racism. And so a lot of like the, the body response to fear of, um, of other is layered in stuff that is 
truths that are not truths, right? So, so then you think like, okay, if anti-racism is human nature, to me, human nature is one survival, but then also what is human? Human is also, human nature is to, to be a part of something, to feel like you are a part of a group. There's a collectivity, there's a connectivity, there's a relationship. Like humans are very about relationships. And so relationships, depending on the type of upbringing that you have, you can grow up believing and knowing that relationships are safety, are created for safety, or you can believe that relationships are actually fearful. And so your body's gonna respond to these different things. So, I mean, overall human nature is to survive. We're here to survive. So whatever it takes to survive, yes. And so maybe othering and putting people aside and not caring if they die or not or are harmed or not, maybe is part of human nature. But I think human survival actually is bypassing some of our natural instincts and recognizing that some of those natural instincts are wrong and are reprogramming so that we learn and realize that biodiversity not only in the world that we live in, but in human beings, is integral to our development and survival as a human species, particularly as we watch the, the world literally saying, y'all humans are about to go because you're not doing it very well. And so I think about like in that sense of human nature, if our nature is to survive, if I can get past my subconscious layers of racism that are infiltrated in my body as a white person, then I'm gonna know that connecting with you people, like the two of you as black people in the world, you are gonna bring a different understanding of things in the world, which actually creates more diversity in the human, in the human experience to create more possibilities of survival. Mm. Well, that actually brings me to, you, you said a whole mouthful there. And, and it was interesting because where, where you started with survival and connection, I'll take those two sort of key words, um, are actually one of the things that led me to my sort of gut reaction to this question. Because that is the major force, at least in my you know, reading of Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, which is the power of thinking without thinking. Because what he suggests is, to your point, this gut instinct we have, part of our human nature, and the way in which we were basically wired to survive has to do with being able to, to some degree, prejudge, right, based on experiences that we've had um, and, and other various other factors. Um, in addition, for again, survival and protection, that's where this sort of sense of connection and community and, you know, being able to, to be with a group that can be more, more powerful and more sort of secure than, um, than being on your own. So a lot of those, those things are based in some of these really, really, really um, fundamental instincts that we have. And, and he talks about them. And one thing I will say, and I hope Malcolm Gladwell is not listening, but that I love his books. I think they highlight a lot about human behavior. But it often leaves you with, well, what the heck are we going to do now? You know, kind of WTF. Because he basically says, you know, I feel like, and I'm going to prejudge him now. <laughs> I feel like he would say, well, you know, it's, it is human nature to, to be racist, in, especially in certain circumstances. And based on a lot of those fundamental human instincts, but, but the, the, then that, that, sort of takes you to the next question which is so does that mean we should just give it up you know social justice is just a rat because of of this human nature thing 
so so it's interesting because I'm I'm sort of trying to look at this in a lot of ways, and I think assume we we talk about this. I think there's there's a lot of depth to this question, a lot of levels, and it was interesting because you mentioned the fact that you're white, and and I was actually like I'm gonna wait till the end <laughs> to let people know because what is very interesting is again I think that knowing having certain pieces of information colors your judgment again probably less so based on the human instinct but more so based on that socialization so there's that other layer as well to sort of factor into it so so it's it's really interesting and i i you know challenge the audience our audience to just ask themselves the question of whether or not in hearing you know what she said about being white actually changes your perspective and really you know sort of do a check-in with yourself um, because i think that's one of the fundamental parts of what has to change in order to to make the i'm not going to say racial tolerance but you know this sort of celebration of true celebration of diversity happen um successfully so i didn't answer any question i just kind of no, riffed no, on you, that you, but. you really didn't but you know, you know what's interesting. I'm getting to an answer with my rants, so go. <laughs> what's, what's interesting is, although, I don't know, did we all agree on the answer to, to the question? I don't know. So far, uh, I'm, I'm actually on the fence right now. But, so but, wait, did you? But, but oh, I think, didn't, go ahead, sorry. Because I, I, I didn't give an answer. From what I heard you, you say in, in both of those um, responses, I think we may disagree on the fundamentals underlying our answer. Mm. I would also tell you that I think racism is against human nature. Mm-hmm. So when I said anti-racism is, is against human nature, you know, some of it is, is couched in the fact that it takes human nature is to be safe and secure. And it takes, to me, it takes a brave act to be anti-racist in, at least in this society. Um, so <clears throat> That is, that is putting yourself, and, and then it takes some energy in this society to be anti-racist. And, and that's where I was saying that that is against human nature, because I think mm-hmm. most people will, for lack of a better term, hide behind a shell if they could, or hide in a hole if they could, and not deal with this issue. If they could get away with not dealing with this issue. Which most of them can. Which most people can. Yeah. I, I guess I would go further to say that I think racism against is against human nature because I think there've been numerous studies that show if you put toddlers together, toddlers of different races together, you will, especially at an age where they have not been socialized, you would not be able to tell any, any differences between how they interact with each other based on their race. Uh, and to me, that is the best example of the fact that uh, we, we don't prejudge people based on how they look. You know, humans are 99.9% the same DNA. Uh, We don't, the skin color, we don't really look that different when you, when you talk about the difference between a human confronting a dog, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I don't think we, I don't think racism, I don't think racism comes about because of a fear of the other, Mm -hmm. except a learned fear of the other. Mm, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge that. Okay. Um, You've seen little kids play and all the black kids go on one side and all the white kids go on the other side. I have mostly because their parents took them, but that's a separate, that's a different issue. It, it is interesting because in the, in this context of survival, there is a very different value system that is in place 
when you are a child, certainly a toddler, than mm -hmm. when you get to the, shall we say, the childbearing ages. And, and, you know, I, I, you know, I guess this is, this is where we could have, you know, a, a geneticist on and on all that other stuff. But, you know, there is a question that I have around, and, and I, I've seen it somewhere. I'm not, I'm not sure where it may have been in Malcolm Gladwell's book, but this concept of, you know, sort of perpetuating the, your, your seed, right? And, and I, I think there was something in Malcolm Gladwell's book about this concept of there being a, an understanding at a very sort of instinctual level that when it comes to perpetuating your race, and, you know, again, you could say that's human race, and then it should be all good. So I think it gets confusing because of the fact that you do have some some changes that occur that actually do affect your brain as you move from you know childhood into adolescence into adulthood and so so i just challenge you you know not having the answer um but on that fundamental point to say that i think that there is a a different sort of uh, behavioral underpinning and it's even sort of chemical in terms of your brain chemistry that you know, exists when you are at that stage versus at the stage where you really can make an effect on this. So, but I still think that's very behavioral learned. You know, if, if you're working, if, if those same toddlers grew up in a community, they would see themselves as the community and see anyone else outside as other. You know, originally when the European people came to this land, the other was anyone who wasn't Christian, anyone who wasn't a part of this religious thing, even their own people that looked like them, like you are just a heathen because you are something other. And there wasn't that same connection of you are my brother because you look like me. It was no, you are other because of this. So we have created these, these things of what means to be part of the in-group, you know? And I think different cultures have a different experience with what creates safety. There was a person, and I'm forgetting his name, there was a doctor who looked at like the axiology, I don't know why this is coming up, but it just came to my mind, where he looked at the different values that are based in cultures, um, racialized cultures, because we all know race is a BS creation but racialized cultures based in uh, uh, ancestral lands and looking at sort of the European peoples, their value system got so based in a, an understanding of scarcity. There wasn't the, the scarcity around growing, the, there wasn't a lot of resources and it was a lot of hoarding a lot of your own small community, your own small family against others. So there was a lot of competition that got bred into the value system. Whereas you look at a place like Africa where a lot of the, the, there's so many resources available. The resources were, were abundant, but the, the value system I got based was about community and connection. And so there, in order to not, not cause like wars between tribes or groups, they intermarried with each other so that they had relationships and connections. So their value system is so rooted in relationships, whereas Europeans were, our value system really in timeliness and getting things done. And there's, you bring a group of people, if you're talking just black and white, which of course there's so many other people, you bring a group of people together, you ask them to do something, the white people will get everything done and the black folks will be like, oh, well, we all just checked in where we from and who our names are, who we are. One is not right or they're wrong. They're just different ways of approaching something based on like values that are so deeply rooted in ancestral lineage. 
And so I think that we just, we other based on what we're not used to. As Michelle Obama says, it's much harder to hate up close. When you are raised and, and are around people that don't look like you and for some reason, you just learn each other's, and you learn each other's behavior, body language, words, different things, and they, people stop becoming other. They become a part of your own group. Yeah, I, I guess I agree with that. And and I guess, T-Leak, where I would challenge you is I don't know how someone gets to childbearing age without, especially in any society I'm familiar with, without having a systematic indoctrination of this thing called race. Um, well, so. and that's, but that's, that's the difficulty with proving one way or the other. Right. right. And, and I think there's this, this, there is, you can't, you can't, it's, it's ultimately impossible to do. And with Kasum's example in terms of society and one thing that I think, I think the scarcity thing is, is, is a very interesting, you know, sort of, thing that you know has evolved um you know especially based in certain regions etc but again you know there is this again it gets it almost sort of gets back to human nature finds a way to create difference to create to to whatever those groups are and is race which as a construct it does allow you because it's easy right it's easy to see someone especially you know, I, black is a is certainly a spectrum, but you know, black people generally you can see blackness, and so as a result, it makes it easy to create that that bucket or that community. So I'm not saying that that's the. I'm just saying that I don't know that there is any way to prove one way or the other that it is intrinsically not there, and it's all society because you don't have any control to get rid of the society element to say this would not exist. That's all I'm saying as a scientist you would uh, but but i think i think as a scientist you would look that's why you look at toddlers you you look at you, you're right there, there there are no fully grown societies that i can think of that could be a, a good test case but but that's why you look at what happens before there's any chance for socialization to be something different if you're talking about what's natural uh, but you, but, you, but I, I don't know that I, I'll take bullying. I was just watching a show on bullying, actually. Okay. Um, you know, it's it is that you it, the the and and perhaps this is also my sort of you know reaching into this whole the differences between men and women. The differences is there is the you know the changes that occur and and the effects on the brain that we sort of just kind of. I think we take for granted and, and don't really incorporate those into when we're thinking about how we approach some of these um, issues. I, I actually think that's a missed opportunity to, to just look at that and not understand. And I say that because I say, you know, bullying is not necessarily sanctioned per se. And it comes from a lot of societal things. You know, they say that people that are bullied will believe that people that were abused will abuse others. But again, you don't have the, the ability to, to, to really extrapolate that from what's happening within the body, which is directly affecting your emotional state, your mental state, your, the way in which you are, you are, you know, viewing the world, which is outside of those societal factors. There's actually some, some brain chemistry involved. So, but not to, not to get so, into that. So, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because I would tell you that bullying is natural. I would tell you that if you look at any species, 
you see hierarchies between the members of that particular species where domination is something that happens within the species. So I would tell you that bullying is natural. And, and that's, and, that's where I'm saying that's the fine line. Because to me, if bullying is natural, then there is an opportunity within the control. Because I don't see toddlers bullying each other per se. And it depends, again, we could, we could delve. Maybe you haven't watched enough of them. I see them taking toys. <laughs> I would add even on top of that, that the anti-bullying movement is also a reflection and an extension of anti-blackness. I agree with that as well. All right. So has anyone changed their answer? Well, I want to add a piece. Can I add one more piece to it? Sure. So Please. The thing that's coming up for me is, is Amy Cooper. Amy Cooper is the white woman who was in Central Park the day that George Floyd was killed, and she called the police on Christian Cooper. And what I what I bring no up relation her, by everybody, no relation. We, we we think, but we haven't seen the DNA. <laughs> right, but the generational healing on that one could be profound, right? The the layers for for me when I watch her and I watch similar videos like that. I see the visceral reaction to her response to blackness and particularly a black male that I doubt would happen if she was a black woman. If she was a black woman in the park and saw a man come out, there's going to be a, a sense of, oh, I know this, this body. It doesn't scare me. Generate It doesn't have this deep level of somatic fear in my body that for white women, for generations and generations, this fear of the black man, this lie of black male rape on white women has been so ingrained in the soma, the body of white women that are not in relationship to blackness specifically. Her response, I watch her, I'm like, you are getting hysterical over nothing. And the hysteria to me, because I do a lot of somatic work and trauma work and how things are in the body, it doesn't make any sense. She's being hysterical over something that is not actually real. So it, to me, that automatically says to me that she's having a trauma response, a response as if she is in this fearful state. And that, so when I look at that, I'm like, that is an old story that has been instilled in her that it actually isn't real. The same thing with white police officers killing black men. There is no real story in our history of black men killing police officers. There just isn't. But yet they will always go in and say, I was scared for my life. There's no historical evidence to show that you have that fear. So if that's true, which for many of the officers, I think it's untrue. They just know that's what's going to get them off. But for the ones who do feel that resonance of fear in their body, knowing it's not real logically, there's still something that has been embedded in their body from a long time ago for generations that isn't human nature. That has, I mean, it's human nature that it's happening because our bodies are natural things, right? But but because it has been instilled for so long, you look at it now and it's like, that doesn't make any sense, but it's real in someone's body. So it could be real in how they respond. So that is human nature, but at the same time, it's dumb human nature. So it's, well, it's and, like and, and that's, but that But that gets at the heart of what I'm trying to say is that, and, and, and Jag, you sort of said it too, is that in this society today, is anti-racism against human nature because of the social issue, because of what we've ultimately created in terms of human nature. And it, I mean, it's, it's a little, again, it gets back to what I said about Malcolm Gladwell. It's frustrating because if you say, I mean, to your point, Kasum, when we talk about how deeply these stories 
have affected people because I actually I actually do think there are probably more cops. I don't think they all are, but I think that there are more cops than we want to acknowledge that genuinely are afraid and feel that in their bodies. I actually believe that. And I think that is part of the problem though, because then, then who wants to acknowledge? I mean, I think that's the absolute truth. I think there are a lot of people who don't want to acknowledge it. They just want to think, oh, okay, if we work on excessive force and all that. Anyway, but I, but it, it is exactly what I'm and, – and that's where I'm sort of, you know, kind of going back and forth because it is this question of today's human nature, consumed to what you're talking about and what exists. And what's, what's the name of the African – fossil that we found the first human what was her name lucy Lucy. Lucy. thank you i I forgot lucy's name is this lucy's nature she wouldn't be called lucy if she was found right (laughs) she was properly named (laughs) So, so you know this undoing of all of that that is now in our dna to exactly what you're saying when you talk about the somatic it is that is where it's like holy crap we got it it becomes almost sort of you know you just want to throw your hands up because you're like wow that is some shit so i'm sorry jack i interrupted well well, i guess to me what you're talking about is is programming i would absolutely agree that the programming has been systematic it has been long-standing and it's going to take a hell of an effort to to deprogram some of the thoughts that lead to racism but I, I, I guess it's important for me, though, to, to distinguish that from being in the DNA and being in the human nature, because if it indeed is human nature, then you do throw up your hands and say, you know, what can you do about it? But I guess well, categorizing it as programming or learned leaves hope for me that you can unlearn it, you can deprogram it. Uh, and I think that's the work that has to be done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I agree. So it's because we don't want our audience to throw their hands up. <laughs> um, so, so now, Kasum, you never gave an answer to the question. Where are you right now? Well, I mean, I, I, I think what I was saying before is I do think human nature is to find safety, but that human nature in the current body form, particularly in the white body, is not intelligent because it's actually finding safety in untrue stories. And so the response is to do things that are harmful to people who don't look like them. So calling the police, doing, coming out and shooting, you know, Ahmaud Arbery was murdered based in people feeling what a sense of needing to find safety. So you're like, so to me, it's like not intelligent human nature, but I guess if you could say that in their bodies, they felt like, oh, we're here to protect our neighborhood and protect our space. Is that nature? Okay, maybe. I I don't know. I I just think like humans are not smart in our bodies sometimes, but we're responding out of what we can say is human nature because we're responding out of what we think is true in finding safety. But human, to me, human survival is based on our deprogramming of those old stories because they're actually helping to kill us as a humanity. Now, I'm, I'm glad you said that because you actually said that it's, a, it's not an intelligent human nature. And I don't think that that is exclusive to white people because the stories have actually affected everyone. 
right yeah. including black yeah. people and yeah. so that that is that is something that i don't know you know but but i i think because i think there is work for everyone to do because those stories you know i think there's again there's some stuff in blink about the the harvard application that they have where you test how quote unquote racist you are against black people how biased you are against women etc and that you can you find that women are just as you know biased against women or you can find you know black people that so so i think that there is a lot that the stories are doing to our bodies now i do want to say something about jag and you know with the dna and the so a uh aspiring okay. scientist and so the 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 epigenetics yeah. this you know which is a now you're using big words on me okay, okay. <laughs> love epigenetics <laughs> so the idea is you are not just your genes like that's not just who you are right Agreed. so that there are things that get turned on or off based on all kinds of different factors we're not even going to go into that right on top of that you have and i'm sure some you're familiar with this but you have these these this kind concept of cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Which is this idea that you can separate what would be an automatic response based on, you know, a feeling, an emotion that you have reacting to that, right? And and you what you need to do is to separate the action from the feeling. Because the feeling, you can't you can't negate that. You can't say you didn't feel that way. Right. But what we need to do is to get and and Jag knows this, I am miss emotional intelligence like i'm like this is what people need to focus on is just being emotionally intelligent it would help us in our personal intimate relationships and it would help us in this sort of wider macro relationship that we have with each other people are not aware of what triggers they have and then how those triggers create behaviors and actions and cognitive behavioral therapy is all about sort of dissecting that especially when those behaviors are actually as you're saying they actually are impacting society um, and of course that person in, in a negative way so anyway so i guess i just say that they're all those layers and so to me jag is not just the dna and it's not just the society and i think where those two sort of break off but i want to say that even if it is at a more biological level I, I know you're a chemi guy but even if it's not that there is hope because i think there are those therapies but it but it requires this certain level of emotional intelligence to me includes maturity a certain level of maturity which to get everyone to not sure right so that's my Wow. In between so, both of you. So, so is this one show or is this three or four shows that we're going to continue? <laughs> yeah, because we were, we were there, 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 are a lot of, there are a lot of things in here that I would like to respond to. I'll come back. <laughs> we're going to have to take you up on that. So what, what do you want to leave with then, Jag? Because I could... Well, I'm, could... I'm, I'm struggling with the call to action on this one because... I mean, you know, how do how do we ask people to sign up for deprogramming? Maybe maybe we should let Kasum tell us what 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 the call of action should be because it sounds like her work is is along those lines. Yeah, I mean that's my that's my work with white people, and so a lot of my work comes out of somatics work. But also, I want to highlight and give shout outs to Reza Menakam, who is an author and a psychologist, a black psychologist who wrote the book My Grandmother's Hands. 
And that book is about generational racialized, unhealed generational racialized trauma and how it's lived in our body. And he really brings in, in that book, tons of body exercises that you can do to really get more grounded into ourselves, into our sensory, into what is actually happening when things happen, when we see things and, and getting more connected to our body is to notice what are our reactions and responses to things. I truly believe that we can change in a lifetime. I mean, I just think about my own self, like growing up in an almost all white environment and not having any context of culture outside of whiteness would probably take that Stanford study back in the day and have all kinds of anti-black bias or whatever it comes out. And recently I took that study and I actually had anti-white bias. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know if that's the direction I wanna move in. But just knowing that there is shift that happens in lifetime when we are start being in relationship. And so, yeah, so Resma's work, but I'm, I, that's my work around our dissecting whiteness is not so much doing so much information, reading books. I mean, that's helpful. I think it's helpful for us all to know the history that we didn't get told and to understand the different perspectives that are coming out. And if we don't, really do the internal work of shifting, then we're going to constantly react out of old stuff that we don't even know where it's coming from. Thoughts that come to your mind, you're like, wait, where did that thought even come from? Is that real? Is that really even the truth? Like what? And so that the, the listening, the discerning, the being able to be more in your body and grow that ability to sense the sensations. When I'm walking up the street and I cross a group of young black youth, like if there's sensations coming in my body, what is that telling me? What is that old? Because if I was in a different body, I wouldn't have the same sensations. It has a lot to do with this particular body. And yeah, and so I think that those are the types of things that we get, when we get more, at least for white-bodied people, I can't speak for anybody else, but for white-bodied people, we're so afraid to look at our fears. We're so afraid to even acknowledge that we have racism within us, that we have a racist behavior. There's such a tag, oh, I'm not racist, I don't know what you're talking about. I, you know, I didn't, my, my people, I didn't own slaves. I, I have a Black Lives Matter sign. I dated a black man. I, I have a black friend. All these things, that none of those matter. You could, you know, it, none of that is a precursor to being anti-racist or to being in a trajectory of racial justice. So I think it's being able to just sit with the racism that lives within us and not get caught up in feeling like we're at fault. The world around us forced this stuff in us but it's our job to actually do the healing to transform it or we're complicit in it. And whether it's towards human nature or not, to me, and I actually, Jack, I, it's so interesting that you say like against human nature because white people doing this work particularly actually, I mean, more so I think in past history, but even now you're putting yourself in danger. You're basically putting yourself in a position where your own people will push you out of the group. And you could depend on the types of work you're doing, putting yourself, I mean, I've had death threats. I've had calls, people to just random weird stuff. I'm like, I don't care. There's something deeper inside of me that knows that this is, this, this is not only, it, maybe it's going against human nature, but it's soul healing work. And I believe my people, we gave up our soul generations ago in order to fall in line with this, this delusion of white supremacy that doesn't exist. And we keep passing it down to our kids year, generation, 
generation after generation. And my work is soul treating work is bringing us back to our souls so that we can reclaim our own humanity so that those layers of whiteness that are, are unreal can be pulled away and we can actually live in relationship with each other that is not about domination and control. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll include a, a link. I'll get that book information from Kasum and we'll include that link. And, and I, I, I so appreciate Kasum and the work that she's doing and the risks that she's taking because I, I think this is so, so, so um, necessary. And to Jack's point, for the Black-bodied people, I do think, just like we talked about the stories affecting Black bodies similarly, I think that there is an opportunity to become more emotionally intelligent, as you said, um, Kasum, I think it does start with being aware in your body, aware of the sensations that are triggered by your perceptions in the brain. And what I highly recommend is some sort of stillness in your life. You can call it meditation, you can call it prayer, you can call it whatever, but a, a time and a place, ideally daily, that you can be still and listen, just like Sum said, listen to what your body is saying. And it, it doesn't have to be saying anything at that time, but the more you, you know, are able to find moments of stillness where you can listen, you're gonna get better when you have all of the chaos around you. So that's that's my sort of recommendation. I know there are quite a few, I'll actually put a link to, to my website because there are a few um, people that specialize in meditation for Black people specifically. So, you know, realizing the unique needs for, to be honest, the Black mental state at this time. So, and I know Jag has a family friend, which we will hopefully have on the show, who is specifically focuses on Black mental health and the unique stressors that affect us. All right. Jack, you're muted. We want to hear you. Uh, well, y'all said everything that needed to be said. I mean, y'all <laughs> dropped the mic. I, I would feel foolish picking it up to try to add to that. But Kasum, I did want to thank you for, for being on the show. Thank you for being a warrior on this front line, as I think you um, proved that you definitely earned that warrior title. And like I said, I, I don't want to add anything because I think y'all said everything that needs to be said. Yes. I'm ready for round two, though, because I want to hear more of what you have to say that you didn't say. <laughs> we we go we go schedule that. Right. So so stay tuned for part two, because this conversation needs to continue happening. And and I think maybe we should make it a live show so we can get some some folks talking about this on a on a sort of a wider scale. Sounds like a plan. All no right. stupid questions. Thank you, everybody. Take care. You can ask any question that you want, or don't ask no stupid ass questions. <laughs>